Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Thank Vinny. you, brother. It's an honor. Excited to come and serve your clientele and crowd, man. The, the question I always love asking out there, because I, I mean, I've had such a, an abundance of, of coaches out there. And I know variety, but what separates you from other coaches? Uh, well, probably the word coach. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm a little disgusted with the word coach because I feel like everybody's a coach this, these days. I mean, you have every different 21-year-old that's never done shit in their life that's out there telling people, hey, I'm a coach. I teach this or whatever. And it's, it's absolute bullshit. I mean, if you want to look at coaches... I guess I fit into that categorization, but I'm, I'm a guy you call if you want to get from point A to point B, which means I'm more about measuring and mapping where you are, mm -hmm. what's in the way and getting you there. I mean, I came up with a formula, real simple. Human experience is four things, faith, family, fitness, finance, and no different than the fingers on this hand. They may not be the same, but they're tethered to one another. So mm -hmm. if progress equals happiness, there's an anchor somewhere. And if you're going for, say, finance and there's an anchor in family, you're not going to grow. You're, you're going to have this anchor here in family. Say you're trying to scale your company and going through a divorce. Maybe you ought to deal with that stuff. Get it out of the way. Remove the roadblocks and the anchors. And then we find a way to get you that path to success. So how often should someone double check all the, um, the four pillars to make sure that they're going on the same path? I mean, is it every month, every week, every day? I mean, how often? Well, I mean, as often as you're breathing, brother. I mean, I have a, a, a simple philosophy and it's it's living on purpose, okay? And, and let's, let's challenge it. I mean, you know, science is the ability to question everything, right? So yeah. have you ever been angry? Yeah. Would you choose that shit? No. Okay, so if you are angry, you are having a real experience in that moment. And if you wouldn't have chose that, then it's something in your subconscious mind that's triggering you to that anger moment. And you're living in a subconscious pattern, not in a conscious decision oriented pattern. So if you didn't choose the emotion you're having and you're having a negative emotion, you're triggered, as we say, you're not living on purpose. And if we believe consciousness is what makes us human, then is subconscious subhuman? Hmm. Every time you have a negative emotion, stop. Pause. Check it. Where did it come from? What's going on? I mean, you want to fuck up anybody's destiny, destination, goals? Sow some doubt in there. Let them have a day of depression. Let them have a day of stress. Let them have a day of doubting themselves, and they can lose a battle that is stacked in their advantage. So when you're dealing with, for yourself, a negative emotion, I mean, what do you do? Is it is it simple of... I'm feeling this, I need to, to reset, or how do you reset and how do you kind of get back on the right path? Off to the good questions. I love it. You're, man, you, you're good at this. So <laughs> if, if, if you, it's not about avoiding negative emotions. I mean, if you've ever seen that yin-yang circle, you've got both sides. You've got the black and the white side. And there's that little spot of white on the black side and the spot of black on the white side. So the negative emotion, it's like the check engine light on a car. It's an indicator. It's like, hey, there's something going on. I should probably pause for a second and figure out where it's coming from. Can, can I tell you a quick story? And, and I think maybe it'll it'll move the needle on on, on achieving success, okay? Uh, I've, I've got 18 businesses now. I think at the point that this story happened, I had like 
seven or eight businesses, but it, one of them was a real estate brokerage. And I, I think a lot of your people are real estate folks, right? So may, maybe this will make some sense. I'm taking a guy who's running my company out of the company. And you know what that's like. If you run the brokerage and you're getting rid of the former leader, he's going to open a competing company and shut you down. That's just the way it always seems to go. Well, I have this young lady, gorgeous young lady, walks into my office one day and she says, hey, I need coaching. Now, at this point, I'm coaching, you know, Wall Street entrepreneurs. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm not that motivated to go and coach a realtor, but I also don't want people leaving my company and going to some other company um, based on the situation that I've created by not keeping this guy on staff. And so I, I, she sits down. I'm like, hey, you know, talk to me. What's, what's going on? What's the real problem? She says, man, I'm in a financial crisis. I need to get to six closings a month. That's not unreasonable. That, that, I mean, I've got a lot of realtors doing six closings a month. So I say, okay, cool. We're developing a map. We know where you want to go, where you want to go, right? So we got to figure out the, you are here. Well, if we know that you want to go and we can find the you are here, and for her, it was 0.5 closings a month, then we have to figure out, okay, well, what's the percentage gain you're looking for? Well, from 0.5 a month to six a month, she's looking for a 1,200% gain. That's a pretty radical shift. So I look at her and I'm like, all right, well, tell me about your business. Tell me what's going on. And, but first, tell me how long I have to get you there. She says, I need this now. I said, now is impossible. How long do I really have? She says, well, if I can get it done in three months, I, I think that would that would work. 1,200% gain in three months. I mean, I guess that's, you know, unreasonable, but, but let's go. We're the opponent. Sorry, man. Yeah. Chef is bringing me my coffee. <laughs> mm, so good. Um, so as we're having our discussion, I'm listening to her talking about her business. And she's telling me all the thing that's going on. And while she's having this discussion with me, she keeps venting for children where there's a lot of love, but a lot of stress. And this husband, son of a gun. And there's maybe some love, but there's a massive amount of pain venting every time she talks about the husband. So I, I, I believe in this faith, family, fitness, finance thing, the four cores of the human experience. And I'm not really a life coach, as it were. I'm mostly a finance coach, but I know they affect one another. So I pause her. And I say, hey, you know, tell me about your husband. Let's talk about him. Whoa, this was my first time ever venturing outside of money coaching and business coaching and measuring economic situations type of coaching. And I had no idea what I was getting into, but it was Pandora's box, brother. I mean, immediately we're emptying a box of tissues. We're emptying a box of tissues. And I'm hearing how this guy is very interested in another woman. There's text messages in a phone. There's lipstick on the collar that she's found. I mean, it is a situation I've never been in from a coaching standpoint. And I'm like, okay, well, if we're looking faith, family, fitness, finance, I know where it is. It's family, right? And so as she's talking to me, I pause her and I say, hey, you know, we need to find the same thing if we're looking at coaching. Where are you now? Where do you want to be? Do you want to bury this guy's body in the desert? Because some women would be there. Or is this the man of your dreams? Do you want him back? She says, no, man of my dreams. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't know anything about why this is happening. I'm, I, I just can't believe it. And I pause her and I say, okay, well, do you know the archetypes of a man and a woman? I'm giving you the fast version of this story because this is over about five hours. She says, no, I don't. I say, okay, well, let me tell you the archetypes. Every man wants to be a superhero every day. We all want to wear a cape and save a bus full of children and be admired by, by everybody around us. Do you know how many archetypes a woman has? She says, no. I said, me neither. Probably 10,000 but we could at least root it down to three, okay? Three. 
every woman has this extremely playful, extremely feminine creature. This over 40,000 years of human history has been used to attract the man because where everybody says opposites attract, it's bullshit. Opposite energies attract, masculine, feminine. That's what's attracting. They have this other archetype. It's half masculine, it's half feminine, and it's there to raise the children. We'll call this the mother, okay? The mother wants to keep you alive because when you're two, you're not that smart. You might just walk off a cliff, right? So the mother needs to keep you alive. She's masculine enough to be results oriented, but feminine enough to show love and be playful and nurturing and all that. And then third, there's this one that my wife has nicknamed the bitch, okay? And, and it's an acronym for all the ladies out there. It means babe in total control of herself. This is a badass woman. This is a woman who has stepped into her own and she's going to go own the space that she's in. Now, if you study history, 40,000 years of history, when the men in the tribe were off hunting, what was the most dangerous thing to a woman? Men from another tribe. They were going to come and steal. They were going to come and raid. They might hurt your children, whatever. So a woman would pick up a spear and defend their kids. And I said, let's look at where you might be. And I looked at her. I said, you've had four children, right? That's four biochemical events. Your body has spiked more oxytocin, 10 times more than a man will ever feel in life, producing children. If we can agree that love is the meaning of life, and that is my belief, then the meaning of love to you is being the mother based on four enormous biochemical events. You've been addicted to children, in effect, because that is the most amount of love you've ever experienced. When you met your husband you were probably in a much more playful, energetic state. You weren't in this motherly. You didn't need to nurture him. You weren't worried about mothering him. You were playful. You were high feminine. And, and, and she looked at me and she says, I don't understand. I said, okay, let me pause. Let me ask it a different way. What if your husband's not looking for another woman? What if your husband's looking for the you that he first met? And then I watch her sit back and she gets this thing that looks like hope coming into her eyes. And I'm like, oh man, okay, I got it. I'm, I'm getting somewhere. And we figure out what her favorite feelings are. We do a little exercise. We figure out what her favorite behaviors were to get her to those feelings. And I give her some homework. Like I literally was so stressed out about the whole situation that I sent her to go get a massage from my office. Like I literally called my masseuse. I was like, hey, dude, I've got an appointment for you. Can you take it now? He couldn't. So he took it the next morning. Sent her to go get a massage. I just wanted her out. I, I, I didn't know if I'd help. I didn't know if I'd hurt. I didn't know anything about it. And, but I, I, I was used to financial coaching, not family coaching. Well, she goes, she takes up a dance class. That's one thing she'd done before. And she goes and she does retail therapy. Other ladies call it shopping. Here's what's crazy, man. This is a story of failure. Three months later, she had not closed six deals a month. It took four. But one month later, her husband had disclosed the relationship. He never... When he did kiss the other girl, he screwed up, but he didn't go as far as she had worried he'd gone. And he was like, what's changed? What have you done? I'm so sorry. He disclosed, he apologized. Their marriage started stepping back into shape where she wanted it, where it was supposed to be. And on her fourth month, somewhere between the fourth and the fifth month, she closed her sixth deal in one month. We never did a financial coaching. Hmm. Never. So, I mean, when you're looking at what's going to move the needle, I mean, it's real simple. Faith, family, fitness, finance. What's in the way? What's holding you back right now? What's triggering the emotion that's causing the doubt that's making you question yourself? If a human being is nothing more than, imagine a Jenga tower, right, of beliefs. 
if a human being is a Jenga tower of different beliefs, and the word belief has roots, it means be love, then maybe some of the beliefs we're believing are bullshit and we need relief from them. And we need to relief, which means lift up and over or relove, replace the old bad belief. She thought her husband was out doing something wrong. Her husband was just looking for the her he first met. And he didn't understand women. You know, like most of us men, we look at women, we're like, wow, she's attractive. We, we kind of look at them like, man, I hope they like the things we like. I hope they like bowling and fishing and drinking beer and all that. We kind of look at them, we're like, man, I hope that's a less hairy man. And women, they oftentimes look at us and they're like, man, that's like a more hairy woman. No, we're very different creatures. You know, God was a comedian when he created us and made us mate. Well, let's rewind to to a young Preston. A young Preston was he looking to help other people? I mean, what was what was his mindset, world? Uh, young Preston. Let's see. If we're gonna gotta go origins, no, <laughs> young Preston was not looking to help people. I mean, I was um, going going back as 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 far as I can to the conditioning that I had. I grew up broke. I I grew up in a trailer park in Canyoteo, Texas, right outside of El Paso, Texas. And I, I mean, we had tons of love in my family, but I mean, I remember times where there wasn't enough food. And my mom and dad worked hard, but they had the typical job just over broke. You know, that thing you take when you're, you're selling out on your dreams, whatever the bribe was you took to sell out on your dreams and your purpose. And my dad decided he was like, you know, he'd watch, listen to all these tapes and read a few books and he decided to go open his own business take his future by storm, become a, become an entrepreneur and set his family free, get out of poverty. Right. And he opened his business. He went and started working in this little shed, you know, those little tin sheds uh, outside of our trailer. And he would be there sometimes 6 AM to 8 or 9 PM at night. I remember we stole an air conditioner, one of those evaporative units. We stole an air conditioner from somebody's yard who wasn't using it. Shame on me. Uh, we, I was young. I didn't know any better. And you know, my mom helped. So shame on her too, I guess. But uh, just to keep him cool, so we didn't die of heat stroke because El Paso is a pretty hot environment. And he would work. He'd slave there. This went on three or four months. And my mom in this time lost her job. Money was scarce. My dad had no idea as a business owner how to bill. He had no idea how to collect. He had no idea how to, you know, price his products, frankly, either. And it, it got to a point where my mom lost her job. He'd been working a lot, but not building a lot. And the fight happened. And I don't remember all the words were said, but I remember the cast iron frying pan that flew across the room. And I remember her saying, a real man can feed his family. Don't come home unless you can bring home some money and feed us. And I got to be the charity piece. We drove up to a house not far from where I live now. And my dad at six foot four walked in talking to this guy all of about five foot nine. I knew exactly what was going to happen. He was going to go in there. He could kill this guy with a napkin if he wanted to, right? We were going to get our money and we were going to go home and my hero is going to be okay. Only that's not what happened. My dad's shoulders started slumping forward. Demanding went to asking, asking went to begging and begging went to groveling. It went to compromising. We took some money home that day, but we didn't take anywhere near what he was owed. And I remember sitting in silence in his old Ford truck as we drove down to the Smiths. And I rode back home with a box of ramen noodles on my lap. My dad listened to my mom and she had said, if you can't feed your family, you're not a man. So he quit his business and he quit his dreams that day. And he went and got a job the next day. We had ramen for the next week. And uh, that was the first time I'd ever felt hatred. The first time I'd ever felt anger. 
or anything like that. And I committed it that day. I was like, I'll never be controlled by money. And I became very controlled by money. I became a corporate fucking machine. My mother used to always tell me, figure out the game. When you know the game, you know how to win. Everything has a formula. Find out the game and you'll learn how to win. Well, you couple that with a lot of pain around money from dad. And I became a corporate savage. I'd go into industries. I knew the formula for getting customers. Find out what they want. Go get them. Give them that thing. Then compound, 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 right? And I would dominate every industry I got into. I was, I actually kind of got a little bit of a bad reputation around it because as I grew, I would shut down other businesses and nobody would even know who the fuck I was. And if a lion doesn't tell his story, brother, the hunter will. So all my competitors who lost market share would go say, oh, this guy's the devil. This guy's bad. And I, I just accepted it. I was very transactional. I only understood this thing called conditional love. And uh, it, it, you know, I got rich. I was probably worth eight, ten million dollars. And uh, one day in 2019, my, my dad sat down in his favorite chair. He went to sleep and he didn't wake up. And uh, there wasn't a game. There was no way to win. There wasn't some way to transact my way through it. There was nothing to measure. It was the first time in my life I'd lost love. And it was an immediate paradigm shift because it went from success is the meaning of life and money equals success to love is the meaning of life. And success is independently defined. Resources stopped being important outside of that they were an amplifier. If you're an asshole with a lot of money, you're a very loud asshole. If you're an amazing human being with a lot of money, everybody's going to know your name. I mean, you can be Hitler. You can be Tony Robbins, right? Like both had resources. One destroyed a lot of things. One helps a lot of people. And, and it completely shifted my paradigm. And the worst day of life became the best day of my life because at a seminar that I went to of Tony's, uh, a few weeks after my dad passed, Tony was helping somebody and said, hey, you know, he was talking to somebody that was sitting a few rows in from me. He was standing right next to me. He really is that tall. And he looks at them and he says, you know, you're not suffering because your loved one is gone. He's talking to them, but he might as well have been talking to me. He says, you're suffering because you expect them to still be here. Bro, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I wrote down expectations for the mother of all suffering. It hit a trigger point where I realized expectations are the cause of all those negative emotions that we have when we're not living on purpose. And that created a new pattern of pausing and identifying what was really the problem, really the pain point every time that I had one of those negative emotions. And that turned into having much less stress. And if you study human beings and biochemicals, we all know the stress hormone, right? It's cortisol. Do you know the main purpose of cortisol? It wakes you up in the morning. You know what too much cortisol does? It makes you dumber. <laughs> it literally stresses you out and your IQ goes down. So when you remove a lot of stress by being able to properly measure what's really happening, you can make much better decisions. And most people are not making good decisions. They're making emotional decisions and not from the good emotions. It's mind numbing. Like the reason that this world is in so much pain is not because it's hard to get rich. Making money is easy. Getting rich is easy. Getting out of your own way, that's the hard part. Well, I mean, let's rewind going back to um, 
what was your, your I know you talked about that you got into the business or you got into businesses and you were making money. You found the, the opportunity, you found the system. I mean, what was that that first job or, or business that you built um, to even find that path, I guess? Well, I, you know, I was very lucky. I was blessed. And I truly believe the people you're around are it's, it's the sources of information. That, that you have best access to. And, you know, most of my friends growing up were, were Jewish kids. And one thing amazing about the Jewish culture is they actually teach a financial education to their children. You know, most cultures don't. The Jewish culture does, several other cultures do. The American culture, hell, we'll, t we'll talk to you about which gender you should have, but we're not gonna teach you how to balance a checkbook. I mean, come on, that's so stupid. Like, at least we should get to the checkbook thing too. I'm not even gonna make an opinion on the other thing, but can we please teach somebody a financial education? And all of my friends' parents would talk about their businesses. And they would talk about earning money versus creating wealth. And it, it, it was mind-blowing. So my first business, which I think was the idea of my, my friend Daniel Charter's dad. And it's funny because later I hired Daniel. Was painting house numbers on driveways. I would walk up and down streets and I would charge 10 bucks and I would paint your house number on your driveway. So if you were at like one, two, three Smith street or whatever, I'd paint one, two, three on the driveway on both sides for 10 bucks. And my sales pitch was, Hey, look, when the builder built your home, he may have put your address here, 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 here. This is before GPS. The fire engine doesn't know where to look for it. Like it's better to have a uniform street. This is what they're all looking for. And I had literally gotten a bunch of firemen to sign something saying that that's what they look for. And everybody likes giving a kid 10 bucks to do something. They all see that. So I was selling sometimes 150 to 250 houses a weekend. I'm making 1,500 to 2,500 every weekend. My mother was making 2,500 a month teaching school at the time. She was like, shit, I should come work for you. And I, you know, that's the first, I, it wasn't incorporated. I was a kid, like I was probably 13 years old, but I was hiring other people at a hundred bucks a day and they were helping me pay. They were helping me door knock. And so it, I, that was my first business hmm. and it was creating money because with a couple hundred bucks of spray paint, stencil and tape, you can make $2,000. That's that. What's the ROI? A thousand percent plus some labor. So it was just one opportunity to the next and, and kind of hearing the knowledge base from uh, your friends, parents, I guess. Absolutely. And I guess the, the lesson in that is for your listeners, your five closest friends equal what you are. Hmm. And, and the five people you listen to the most equal what you are. For all of the people sitting here and listening to this podcast that hear you go around and get other entrepreneurs sharing this, they are going to, if we took a poll and a weighted average of their income and net worth versus people that did nothing but watch Netflix, they're going to have a higher net worth. Why? They're getting different information. When you go to Walmart and you buy something, you are paying for it, right? When you give your attention, you are paying your attention to the person that is giving you the information. And the word information means in formation. Thoughts are things. That idea can translate and transmute into something tangible that will make money. I mean, think about the word, make money. It's not earn money. You make money. If you go to a job, you're earning money. That's not making money. God in her infinite wisdom decided to make us creators, not slaves. Slaves earn. Creators create. So get around people that are giving you information that serves you. 
everybody has five or six multi-million dollar opportunities in front of them every freaking day of the week. They just never get out of their cortisol state to look at it. Well, with the success you've had over the years, how do you look at opportunities today? I mean, if someone's telling you something, because back then your younger kid probably open to all sorts of ideas as you start building basically a track record of success, did your mind, mind shift change at all when you would hear opportunities from other people? Uh, completely. Um, now, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, the gurus always teach it one way, it seems, and they're wrong. Okay. Like the gurus, like you'll go listen to Warren Buffett and he's like, say no to everything except the main thing. Right. Mm. And then you go to Grant Cardone and you'll hear him say, say yes to everything. And, and the truth is, it's kind of somewhere in the middle. Not kind of. It is definitely somewhere in the middle. If you don't have an opportunity right now that is fulfilling you, that is feeding your soul, making you money, and it's fun, it passes the business litmus, litmus test, which I can give you in a second. There's three things everyone must have to call what they're doing a business. I'll give you that in a second. If, if, if you don't have something that passes those three things, then you should try other things. You should always be trying new things until you find that thing. What makes an entrepreneur exceptional or, or successful? It's being exceptional, right? If you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to be a creator, you want to make money, you must be exceptional. Well, that is what gets people into business. But when they get rewarded for that, they plateau, they get stuck. Why do they get stuck? Because the word exceptional connotates that you have to make exceptions. Oh, shit. So the very thing that got you a level of success becoming exceptional is now making you manage your situation by crisis, making exceptions for everybody. Shit. So what we have to do then is become optimal. And optimal is when you build a machine around simplification and alignment to where you create path of least resistance opportunities for your customers to get your product or service, finding the right who's to do all the hows that you used to do. It's creating a culture of training a replacement for you and everyone in your staff. And that creates a natural scaling effect, a natural growth effect to the business. Nobody in this world, like, you know, when I first introduced this culture of training your replacement, everyone's like, why would I train my replacement? Then you could fire me. It's like, also then I could promote you. Oh, like you have to look at the yin and the yang. What if I didn't? I wouldn't have somebody that I wanted to fire train their replacement. Why would I have somebody that sucked train their replacement? That would be stupid. I'm going to have somebody amazing train their replacement because I want to take that amazing and take them to another level. Well, an entrepreneur has to do this themselves. You should go out and try as many things as you can. See which one serves you and fits the litmus test, which I'll give you now. And when it serves you here, fulfilling you and passes this litmus test, do more of it, compound it, scale it, grow it. And, and it's not an if you'll get successful, it's a how fast, okay? And here's the litmus test. If you wanna have a business, you need three things that you must pass to have that business. One, it must be productive. Why? If you are not moving, it cannot be measured. If it cannot be measured, it cannot be managed. Business is a measurement game. Anybody who doesn't like that, get a job. You must measure. They call it key performance indicators, KPIs, right? Everything must be measured. Two, 
after productivity, there must be profitability. Now, profitability could be negative profitability. When you have a startup, oftentimes you're losing money for the first three, six months, a year, and then eventually you turn the corner. But there's trends you can measure to know when you'll turn the corner, okay? And you can say, okay, well, you know what? I have to invest 100 grand, and I'm going to go down, 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 down. I'm watching my cash go down, but I'm watching productivity go up. Cash is going down, productivity is going up, down, up, down, up. Oh, oh, there's this turn. Match, we're break even. Oh, we're going. You follow me? So there must be a profitability metric, and there must be a productivity metric. And last, there must be a purpose, which is kind of where we started. It's got to be something that fills you. Every guru out there teaches you got to hustle your way to success. I mean, I'll tell you what, that's the biggest lie. You want to get exhausted? Hustle your way to success. You'll run out of steam. You'll be pouring from an empty cup, and pouring from an empty cup quenches no one's thirst. So hustling your way to success is a lie. You have to have the foundation, which is purpose, which is passion. If you have a purpose towards something, it creates a passion. Purpose seeds passion. Passion is the cause that creates the effect called hustle. We hear all the people say, oh, you know, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. It's true, but you're passionate about doing it. So let's let's remove one of the three just for a game, just to see what happens. Yeah. What happens if you remove purpose, but you have profitability and productivity? It's not a business. It's an investment. Okay. Say you go invest in stock, but you can see it moving and you can see the profitability and you can see the productivity. Right. You can measure their balance sheet, and their income statement. But it's not your purpose. You're not interested in doing it. Okay? Say you invest something in somebody else's company, but they run it. Same thing. You're still buying stock. It's just direct. What happens, let's say, if we remove, hmm, which one do you want to remove next? So we removed, let's remove profitability, yeah? Now it's a hobby. You love it. It doesn't feel like work. You enjoy what you're doing. That's why people have charitable foundations. Okay? But you're not making any money. You're not creating any money. You're helping people. You're, you're doing something that you enjoy. It could be golf. You're not making any money. Okay? Now, let's look at the last one. This one's kind of sinister. What happens if you remove the last one? If you've removed purpose and you've removed profit, there's only one more we can remove. Productivity. What happens if you're selling something and you have a purpose towards it? And you have a profit towards it, but there's no productivity in it. You're a con artist. Mm. So you can look at that when all of those people reach out to you on Instagram and they're like, hey, I want to do this. Give me some money. Con. Measure them on that litmus schedule. You'll find 90% of them are con artists. 90% of them want your money. They ain't going to do shit. You use that same litmus test to measure your business and theirs. You'll protect yourself from their bullshit, but you'll also make a lot of money. So you talked about when your your dad passed away, I think 2018, right? 2019? Yeah, 19, yeah. So was that the moment of time when you started looking at helping other people in kind of the, the coaching and speaking uh, platforms? Yeah. Um, I, I didn't go immediately into coaching and speaking. Uh, I, I, I was immediately empty. Okay? I mean, it, I don't know if you've ever lost love, but if you ever lose someone, like you, you empty. I remember I was watching The Walking Dead at that time, and I felt I felt like I felt worse than the zombies on the TV screen looked. It was it was rough. And when you're empty, 
the good part of that is you have to fill it with something. And when you're empty, what, what really you're missing, it's faith. I mean, you don't feel love. If faith is energy in and family is energy expressed, fitness is health and wellness and finances resources. When you're feeling empty, when you're feeling defeated, you just don't feel love. So the first thing I was looking for was to fill myself. And what I had to go do was I had to get truth. And, and you know, I went on a journey, basically. And I, I, I started going out and researching different folks in the world who had become very successful, people who'd had losses, people who'd done this, people who'd done that. Everybody had a struggle. And it hit me. I was like, oh, wow. Every single one of these people has one thing in common. All of them, their greatest weakness is also their greatest strength. The worst day on their life, of their life, created a wound. And that wound, they then got enough truth to heal it, and they formed it over into a scar. And once you turn a wound into a scar, now you're at the point where you could teach somebody else how to do that. And and that's where the real gifts and the you know juice equals the squeeze and life becomes totally fulfilling. And so the worst day of your life is probably also the best day of your life when you shift the meaning and find out what's what the truth was there. My, my dad gave me the greatest gifts. My dad, when he lost his dreams on finance, created mine. My mom made me a measurer. We should never manage a company. We should measure it because then you can actually manage it. I created formulas that are 100% accurate and work 100% of the time across now hundreds of industries of folks I've coached and all 18 of the ones I made. And what if those formulas could be applied in other areas, not just finance? What if there was faith, family, and fitness? What if you could figure out a system for having a better life? And so most people don't go look at the worst day of their life and find out what did it teach me? What did it give me? What did it offer me? My dad, the day I lost him, and I didn't lose him. I communicate with my dad more now than I did then. You know, I actually coached two of the top mediums on the planet, Justin Terry and Lisa Williams. You want a crazy experience? Reach out to one of them. In fact, I'll introduce you if you want. You will connect with your dead people. It is, it is, you know, you can't not, and it's it's scary at first, and then it's absolutely beautiful. But the best day of your life the worst day of your life, they are the same day for literally everyone. I mean, how do you grow flowers, brother? You take a seed, right? A wannabe flower. You take it then and you shove it in a pile of shit. We call it fertilizer to be politically correct or inauthentic as I call it. Okay. Then we add some water. A few weeks later, a flower emerges. Then people lean over that pile of shit to smell the flower. Every single success story, every example we look to and hold ourselves to and measure ourselves to has a pain story and solved for it. When you can help somebody understand the meaning of the pain and then help them measure not just the mindset, but also the environment, you give them the ability to balance and have epic success. Epic success. And what's crazy, like, you know, when that all happened, I was probably worth eight, ten million million. I now have one company that's paying me a little north of $25 million a year. And I could sell that on an eight times multiple. So I'm, I'm worth a little more today. And what's crazy is I work probably 5 to 10% as much as I did back then. 
So I was a slave to my businesses. I was running. I was going crazy. I, I, I was I was doing everything I could. All the gurus would teach me, get in state, show up, hustle. And I did that. And I was fucking exhausted and I was kind of rich. Then I started measuring. I started managing. I started leading. First myself and then others, which led to speaking opportunities and podcast opportunities and everything else. And I, I you know, I'm not a billionaire. And I'm not even halfway there, but I might be a quarter of the way there, which is a fucking weird thing for 2019 to now because it's geometric growth. It's, it's unconscionably fast. I mean, I feel like a guy holding onto a bumper of a car going 200 miles an hour by his fingernails, yet I'm not worried about falling off. The growth journey's incredible and it's fun, but it all if comes so, through faith. If someone's listening right now and they're looking, they're thinking maybe Preston might be the, the right uh, coach for me. What's the best way of them getting more information about you, upcoming engagements, speaking engagements, or just seeing if you're taking on new clients? So right off the bat, check out all my social medias. It, they're all at the Preston Brown. Uh, we respond to all messages. I mean, well, most of them. We're getting like sometimes 100 messages a day on the TikTok one. So I don't know if we're keeping up with that one always. But we respond on Instagram, Facebook, and as many as we can on TikTok. Um, and, 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 and go see if the content resonates. I mean, my thought on coaching is information should be free. I literally give all of this information away on all of my social medias. It, now, if you go to the gym and you want to hire a trainer, pay for that, right? Like I've got a $500 a month, like group mentoring program. I've got a $5,000 a month, or I'm sorry, a $5,000 eight week course, which you will download every bit of information, every formula you need for every industry, every business, anywhere. And then I've got a mastermind where we have now, it's called Your Best Life. If you look it up, it's crazy. We launched this during COVID, okay? And during COVID, we became the top high net worth uh, event curation and destination travel and coaching organization on earth. Like, it, it, it is fantastic. I mean, we've got, I think, four billionaires in the group, about 80, 90 deck set of millionaires. We, we, we do that one. That one you have to get invited into. We don't just let anyone in. But I mean... We just got back from the Maldives. We're hitting Machu Picchu in the next 45 days. And then I think Dominican Republic. And we bring out some of the top speakers, leaders, and teachers on earth. I mean, we just had Dave Asprey and JJ Virgin come out and teach us fitness in the Maldives. And they give us formulas for fitness. And if you guys have not checked out like those folks, wow. I mean, everybody in our, in our YBL group is now getting fitness coaching from JJ Virgin. And if you look her up, she's 60. She looks 30. Aging hmm. is a fucking lie. I mean, it's such bullshit. And, you know, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to take my shirt off here, but I went from a little bit of a belly to an eight pack in, in four weeks doing her diet. I mean, holy crap. It's, it's specifically designated to each person. Go read her book, The Virgin Diet. You'll love I'm, just, I'm so wowed by her. And it, frankly. But. Well, I appreciate you being on the Rush Growth Podcast today. I'm going to finish off one last question. And mind you guys, go in the show notes. Go find Preston. Uh, one last question right here. You've talked about different gurus. you talked about different, basically, teachers, uh, mindset, helpers, however you want to call them, right? If And not every guru, not every coach, not, not every person is going to be right for every single person out there. So how do you, when you're, you're looking to see who's going to be the best fit for you, do you test it? Do you weigh it? How do you find out who's going to be the best for you? You've got to find somebody that speaks your language. 
And, and, and when I say language, I don't mean like English, Spanish, French. You've got to find someone that, that, that speaks in the way that you think. Okay, for me, I mean, I had several. I, I, I traveled around and learned with Tony Robbins. I mean, I, I went with a man named Dean Innes, who's now still a mentor, but is also a business partner. I mean, look, it, you know, A, if they have a book out, go read their book. See, see if they're real. Go spend 10 bucks at Barnes and Nobles or Amazon, Audible, whatever, and, 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 and feel the person's character first. Like, there's so many great leaders out there that you can learn from and you want to find the one that fits you. I mean, and, and honestly, that, that person could change. Like I've had different mentors, different leaders, different teachers that have, have given me huge, beautiful gifts. I mean, I've, you know, experienced Sadhguru. Wow. I've experienced uh, Joe Dispenza. Wow. I've experienced Tony Robbins. Wow. All of these guys are wow. And they're all going to be a different flavor, but they're all going to the same direction which is a better you. And, and some people are going to want it like more personalized. Hey, do I want one-on-one -on -one or do I want to sit in a room with 20,000 people? There's not a wrong way. Like as long as you're growing, that's the most important thing you can do. Can I, can I leave you with one last piece? And, and, and it's, an, it's an investment piece that I think will really help all of your people. And, and this investment piece is not mine. I wish it was mine. It was given to me by a man named Dean Innes but it's made me a centimillionaire at this point, okay? And so when it comes to resources, this investment piece, which the first part's the most important, so if you're nothing else, just that, is huge. You invest in five buckets, but you need to fill the first bucket before you move on to the second bucket. First bucket, invest here, invest in your mind. Read a book. If you've only got 10 bucks, you can afford a book. If you've got 10,000 bucks, you can go buy a course or a program, this, that, and the other, but invest here until you literally can't learn any faster. Everybody has capacity to learn. Some people can read a book a week. Some can read a book a month. Some can do a seminar every three months. Some can do one every week, whatever. Whatever your pace is, invest here until it's full. From there to invest in your business. Invest in the productivity machine that you've created. If you need a software, you have no business going out and looking at Bitcoin or NFTs or any of that other crap. If you need a new employee, do that first. Invest in your business. Fill that bucket first. So mindset first, your business second. Third, real estate. Why? It goes up with inflation. You get cash flow. There will be more inflation. The Chinese government and the American government have made sure of that with every policy they've made, and they are the most significant economic forces on the planet. So real estate, inflation hedge, tax hedge, cash flow benefit. Huge. Next one, tax hedges. I own two airplanes. If you're making half a million or more, you're at the point where you should probably be buying airplanes or at least large vehicles. Why? You can write off 100% of the purchase and you can rent it out no different than an Airbnb. I have airplanes that make me money and lower my income by half a million to a million. It's ridiculous. Okay. Last one, everything else. Your charities, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, all that other crap. Everything else fits in the last one. You filled the first four buckets, your excess money will go into that other stuff. It will provide a simple formulaic system for you to have wild, radical success. And literally, like, look, all, all the talk on money, money will never buy you happiness, but you can't afford poverty. So follow that system and you'll have the resources to really have a blessed life. Again, thank you, Preston, uh, for being on the Rush Health Podcast. Hopefully everyone listening got some, some great nuggets. I mean... I, th I think the key takeaway, I think for, for, for myself and hopefully everyone listening is systems. Everything has a system. 
I mean, everything has a system that you do in, in life, in business, and whatever you're looking to do, there's a system out there. It's just finding the right system that's going to fit what you're trying to look to accomplish. So find that system, find that guru, find that coach, find that person that can help out. And maybe it's Preston. And if it's Preston, go in the show notes at least, go into the social media accounts, follow him, and see if he might have the system for you. Thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe, please share, and go find Preston. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.